You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week, we have Mr. Steve Choi from the RX Bandits and the Sounds of Animals Fighting. This was a fun episode, guys. We uh, went all over the place with different subjects like we always do. Uh, But Steve was a great, great guest, and uh, I saw him through a live stream deal that him and Matt Embry, who was also a guest on the show, uh, were doing, telling tour stories. And I was like, dude, I got to talk to Steve. And uh, he did not disappoint. So we did this one a little while back, uh, but uh, no better time than now to release. And uh, yeah, I'm stoked for you guys to hear this one. We had a lot of fun and uh, what a, just a fascinating guy. And uh, yeah, there's some fun tour stories on there as well. So let's get some uh, business out of the way. Peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. PeerPleasurePod at gmail.com is the email. If you want to get in touch with me, shoot over some guest ideas or, uh, yeah, guest introductions at this point is what it's been happening. So uh, that's been pretty awesome. I've been getting a lot of, um, hey, you should talk to so-and-so. Here's their number. They're into it. And uh, that makes things incredibly easy. And as I like to keep things incredibly easy on this show, uh, both for the guest and for you guys, so you guys can do what you want to do. Listen, you know, mowing the lawn or or uh, flying on a plane, flying a plane. Who knows what the fuck you're doing when you listen to this? But uh, yeah, I'm just glad you guys are here week after week. The numbers keep growing. Big things on the horizon. I'll be able to talk about those soon. But keep your ear to the ground and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a beat. Uh, you don't want to miss what's coming up. 
All right, guys. So uh, let's see. What else do we have? Man, not a lot this week. Just working like crazy. Lots of interviews coming up. Lots of great conversations to be had. And uh, you guys will be privy to those soon uh, as we start cycling through the the back catalog and uh, what's on the horizon. So thank you so much for coming back once again week after week. All right, guys. I'm going to jump into this. This is another two-episode week. So we're going to throw this one at you hard. Without further ado, here's Steve Choi from the RX Bandits. Hell yeah, dude. Well, Steve Choi, welcome to the Pure Pleasure Podcast, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Dude, this is this is awesome. And it's funny because uh I think yeah, I caught I so I get guest requests all the time uh of people that I have on the show. And it's always like there's always at some point RX bandits are in there ninety percent of the time if there's a list. Right. So they'll send like wow. a list of people or a list of bands. So, it, but the funny thing is with uh, the RX bandits is there's like specific people that they want on the show. And then it says, and literally anyone from RX bandits doesn't matter who, <laughs> just as long as somebody from RX bandits comes on the show. And I'm like, dude, I'll see what I can do. And it just so happened that uh, my buddy Randy uh, R2K Strohmeyer, um, mm is is listens to the show and he had hit me up and he's like you should talk to matt Embry and i was like oh, okay so he hooked that up and apparently that was his first podcast and uh then so we were like friends on instagram and then i ran randomly saw he was live with you on there and i clicked in and i was barbecuing or something and i was watching it for a few minutes and uh I was like, man, I need to have Steve on the show. So I was like, this whole kind of, that's the web that untangled to where we are now. <laughs> that's really cool. I'm, I'm both flattered by all the requests and feel a slight bit of pressure too. So <laughs> I hope, uh, I hope this is, uh, you know, lives up to the requesters, uh, standards. Yeah, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. But the, the thing is, <laughs> I don't know much about you, which was, which is also, I love going into these without that because it, it's it's nice to find out more about, you know, who I'm talking to as we're going. But um, 
Uh-huh. Like I know, of course, I know your bands, but I don't know much about you. And the one thing that was really funny that you guys were going back and forth, you guys were telling some tour stories, I think, and I didn't, I didn't get through any of the like. I kind of popped in and out of the of the live session deal because um, uh-huh. I was I was cooking dinner for my my kids, so uh, I didn't catch all of them, but I caught a couple snippets that seemed pretty damn funny that you guys were talking about from being on the road, but. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyways, where, so tell me where, where, where were you born? Where do you come from? I was actually born in, uh, a small town in Illinois, Libertyville, Illinois, uh, Libertyville Memorial Hospital. Anybody who's like in the outer Chicago area will know where it is near Mondelein. But I moved to Northern California when I was really young, like eight or nine months old. So basically where I grew up. Um, is a city called Santa Rosa, which is about 55, 60 miles north of San Francisco. It's in Sonoma County, kind of like wine country next to Napa. And yeah, that's where I'm from. Man. So do you like brothers and sisters? Do you have any brothers and sisters? Are you only child? Yeah, I have one older sister. She's about seven years older than me. And it was cool because she was responsible for, you know, like a lot of good older siblings getting me into a lot of cool music and culture and stuff there you go what uh how old were you when she started showing you music actually she never actively showed it to me i would just kind of go through her cds and stuff so even around the age of nine uh she was already 15 16 so she was getting into a lot of goth industrial okay she was a really big skinny puppy fan She's a really big, like, Clan of Zymox, Dead Can Dance fan. And um, anybody who's into that genre will obviously know these people. But it was kind of mind-blowing for, for me having this really big jump from my Bobby Brown and Paula Abdul tapes from my childhood <laughs> to hearing this stuff, even seeing VHS concerts she later had, like Skinny Puppy Live in Toronto. and uh, But it was hugely influential on me. And... During my childhood years of playing music, it being strictly classical, it was really, really instrumental in broadening my creative mind to understand all these other types of music early on, rather than kind of discovering them later when I had so many solid ideas already set. Okay. So, and so we, let me unpack this here. So you, you were already playing music, classical music from an early age? Yeah, I started playing piano when I was four. Okay, interesting. So, so, man, this is something. So, did you do? Did you have an interest in playing music, or was it kind of forced upon you? Like you're going to play um, piano? It, no, yeah. Although the Asian stereotype of parents kind of forcing their kids to play music is definitely backed up with a lot of people doing that all my parents made me do is stick with it once I chose it. So after seeing my older sister play, I was already so into things like Michael Jackson and all the pop I saw on TV from the earliest age that I can remember. Uh, I chose and I said, I wanted to start playing piano too. And my mom told me, I remember, okay, but you can't quit if you start. And uh, I thank her for that. Man. See, that's all. See, I never know. <laughs> I never know how to approach that one because uh, so I was talking to Yvette Young the first time I had her on the show from Covet and she had mentioned uh-huh. starting playing. Uh, she's from China. So she she started playing piano, but she was kind of forced on her. Uh, 
a little bit to where, and I never knew how to broach the subject because of course it is a stereotype, but the right way to ask that question and dig into that one, because I didn't want to be offensive, but like something that like I've, I've actively look at like, wait, how do I ask this? Because, you know, that goes both ways. Either some, some people are, are forced to plug it, not forced, but like, you're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. With her, she broke her pinky and her mom still made her go and do her recital. And now her pinky doesn't work right still to this day. And uh, so like, yeah, and she's same thing. Like the stereotype is this and she was kind of that way. And, and uh, where it's like, you know, you're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. But um, I, I wish it's something I wish I had been put through too, is, is some, like an early age playing a musical instrument. Like I started, I, pl- I got a guitar for Christmas or something. I think it was five and my fingers hurt. It was an acoustic. So I quit. And I didn't go back till I was like 13 and I really wish I would have stuck with it. But uh, the other thing I wanted to ask is h- how old are you? I'm 39. 39. Okay. So I'm a year younger than you. When you say Paula Abdul mm-hmm. tapes, was it spellbound? Was that the uh, tape you had? Cause I got Paula Abdul tapes and CDs around the same time you were talking about. It, and that was like my first exposure. Was- yeah, it was actually Forever Your Girl. Forever Your Girl. Okay. Yeah. I got um, with Debbie the Gibson. Title track for Every Girl. Did you do Debbie um, Gibson? Yeah, you know, I did. I, I wasn't as interested in her, but I watched a lot of Nickelodeon as a child, and uh, she was on a lot of the kids' variety shows and stuff. So I was definitely familiar. And yeah. Tiffany, too. You know? Okay. So, like, yeah. classical into like straight up pop and then into goth industrial that's intense <laughs> yeah that's quite a yeah, roller coaster. It, it wasn't like it didn't become my main music then because i was still i was watching a lot of mtv so i was exposed to like you know i was seeing guns and roses and and uh, motley crew that kind of the end of the hair metal era into yeah. the transition before like the grunge explosion happened uh-huh so i was still taking a lot of mainstream stuff in but I really did appreciate that kind of shocking my system, seeing a big black CD and the album is called songs about fucking, which is quite offensive as like a little kid. Yeah. I was just like, what is this? Like, you know, but again, I may not have put that as like my thing, like I did with punk or indie when I was a kid, but it definitely now looking back, I can see the impression it left on me for sure. Yeah, man. That's a that's a really interesting a really interesting way to go. Like and th- of course the shock to your system is is uh like titillating then as a as a child. Like I remember with mine was made more with movies because those affected me more than music did at the beginning because they go, I, like that stuff would stick with me and kind of like I'd watch movies I wasn't supposed to and like Oh, that's uh-huh. why I wasn't supposed to watch this cuz now I have anxiety in the middle <laughs> of the night about the first Batman or something like with Michael yeah. Keaton and and uh, <laughs> or Are You Afraid of the Dark on Nickelodeon? I used to ride home from my friend's house on my bike, looking over my shoulder after watching that show, and uh, <laughs> it was totally fucking weird. But because music crept in slowly, but I was like a small island kid in Alaska, so like uh, you got what you got, and that was it. And um, so my mind didn't get expanded until I moved to mainland Alaska in middle school and heard Metallica and stuff like that. 
But uh, when did you when did you start playing guitar? Um, I started kind of messing around with the guitar and learning power chords around 15, but I didn't take it seriously just because I was still playing so much music and organized music in school and outside of school, like junior symphony and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I had by then been playing drums and bass, stand up bass and bass guitar in jazz band and orchestra. So I was kind of, had a lot on my plate musically. I also played the cello, which I picked up next at like nine years old. So by that time I I didn't have the time to just like prod out on Metallica or whatever. Yeah. So I kind of started playing when I was 15, but I didn't really seriously like be like, Oh, I really like this instrument, the guitar because of what I can write on it and the kind of creativity it brings out of me until I would say 18, 18 or 19 is when I seriously like, started to actually try to play guitar and try to improve at it and uh, challenge myself. Man. So you, I mean, you, you had an already had a talent for, for playing music, like understanding music. That's one of the things I was curious about as well from what you were telling me is, do you think you can set a kid down at a piano at an early age and just have them start and start putting them through the classes and the the training and the, or the the lessons and the training and the recitals, and they can. Do you think anyone can do that with enough with enough um, guidance and become like a very good piano player or like a very good musician? I mean, or is it just happen to be the talent side? Like, is it something that can be taught? Uh, or is it either you have it or you right. don't like I'm, I'm a musician. And so I, but I taught myself, but maybe if, if I wasn't musically inclined and I sat down and took lessons from four years old, maybe I could be a really good piano player by the time I was 20, you know? Um, it yeah. seems like you had a lot of t- like natural t- talent already just kind of ingrained that, that you were progressing seems like a lot more into other instruments. Yeah, that's a, that's a good and a very big question. Um, so I'll see if I can kind of tackle that without sure. rambling or going off on tangents. <laughs> um, as far as me, I think most of the gift or talent that was given to me is mostly comprised of a passion and love for it. And I know that there's certain amount of natural ability in various levels that we're all kind of innately displaying. But uh, I think it's going to be a spectrum. I think that music is so important and the way humans respond to it is so obvious that I truly believe everybody has the ability to be able to play music. But I also understand that there's also a cerebral aspect to it. And there's a lot of musicians that just attack it cerebrally. And there's a lot of people that are just self-taught and totally approach it with feeling and soul with my classical upbringing as a kid and then my kind of willingful ignorance of my whole classical education as soon as I got into punk rock and I realized that I can make up my own music rather than interpreting other people's music, which classical music is solely rooted in. Um, I got the best of both worlds. I got to have like two musical identities. And as I got better and older, I started to be able to pull things from both worlds back and forth in between each other. 
because, you know, throughout my various musical endeavors and projects, songwriting, producing, writing for RX, you know what I mean? This kind of stuff. So, um, I, I also understand that music is such a huge thing that just touching on what we're talking about as far as the Asian stereotype earlier, which is, uh, it's more viewed that way because Asians are out, of, are out of context in America. So it's viewed as like a stereotype, but one could also see it as an observation because a lot of Asian families understand music as just part of an enriching education for a kid, even having no intent of making them do it for the rest of their lives. Even if the child only does it through high school or junior high or whatever akin to, uh, I, I don't know necessarily what the American equivalent will be, whether it's like people in beach town sending their kids to junior lifeguards or what like cub scouts or uh, summer camp or, you know, various things. But I think there's some similar things in American culture too. So um, obviously like, I totally know what you meant about it being sensitive to a guest from you, but I don't get that vibe from how you asked that at all. It's only kind of when people are framing it in that context of like Asian parents always just pushing everybody to be overachievers and regardless of what the kid can handle, which there's cases of that too, but there's a lot of cases that aren't like that also. But uh, I digress. To get back to the question, like because of the, the hugeness of music, it, it can be interpreted and be legitimately different in different people's lives. So uh, I really think everybody has the ability in them, but I also understand why some people don't do music and they think they can't or why some people do it for a little bit or why some people are only technically trained and why some people are only self-taught and they like it that way too. And I think all of it's great because it all adds to the vast, gigantic thing that is music. Absolutely. It does. Absolutely. It does. It's all those moving parts, you know, that, that, that come together and yeah, anything that, and that's, what's cool about when you discovered punk rocks and you know, I can make my own music, you know, everything you put out there is just adding to that tapestry of music as a whole, you know, and inspiring others. It's such an interesting thing, you know, like just how big it is, you know, and how, uh, yeah. you know, it predates language. Like you can have, you could put on an RX Bandits record for someone who's never heard music before in their life somehow, and their foot would probably start tapping or their head would start moving. Like it, it's this magical thing and it's just in the air. Like it's, it's in the air from your heart to your hands or whatever you're using to create the sound into the air. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I've tripped out on that same thought too. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's nuts. Like, it's, it's you. I mean, you, if you were, and I feel so, uh, I feel like for people that, uh, people that are deaf, like that can't hear the sound, but they can feel, they can still feel it. They can still feel yeah. the sound wave. So they still are, I mean, it's like, it's crazy. Like anyone can be affected by it. You know, people use it as torture. Like playing, like blasting, yeah. like crazy metal for days at a time at high volumes to bring people out of like a, a hostage situation. Like it can be used right. as torture. It can be used. It's insane. 
the the vastness like i'm i'm uh trying to think of something uh, the same kind of impact that music can have to compare it to but there really i mean there really isn't it's insane so i with and i'm going off on a tangent here too but do you feel like having your both musical identities of of being you know on the creative side and then also at the you know reading music uh you know doing classical being able to uh you know, know where you're going from a technical standpoint like a music theory standpoint on an instrument getting in a room with someone who's not do you feel like it hinders you or or helps you in that like more um like when you're writing music like uh say you and the you and the bandits are in the studio or or in the practice space do you think it hinders uh-huh. you that you have you know kind of where to go automatically to play along with Matt or does it help you i mean we're normally where maybe you would have gone outside the box staying inside the box yeah you find yourself doing that more often i mean it's kind of a a bunch of thoughts at once there but um no i feel you yeah um I think that it's something that I worked on for the past two decades. So at first I didn't really know how to step aside from my education because you're kind of, I was young and arrogant and uh, whether I knew it or not still felt some sort of like musical superiority because of my classical training to those that hadn't. But that kind of quickly went away because I understood that the best ideas that I was observing and the best ideas I was coming up with lived completely in spite of that, of that training. Then after delving deeper into songwriting and kind of trying to hone that craft, I understood deeper that it wasn't in spite of that it was that I didn't put that at the forefront of my mind and I didn't have that pretense of trying to utilize that knowledge. So it was this subconscious flow of what my mind thought was the best or most important from my classical training. And it kind of, uh, in a non-calculated way flowed through me into our music. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, use of different scales and tonalities that are pretty intentional in RX's music. And uh, it's really apparent that that was what's going on with me at that time with learning how to interface those things. And, you know, over time, those ratios kind of shift and flow. And then I started to learn how to kind of uh, manipulate that and say, kind of see situations where I needed to approach it technically. Like when I was producing people, an artist needs help figuring out where to go with something. But at the same time, uh, making people feel comfortable in collaborating with them and knowing how to set that aside, understanding the value of me being able to just sing or tap out a part or just play for them on piano and guitar and then have them use their ear and mimic it, which is, I think, you know, 90% of the writing that goes on with bands and stuff like that. Um, but you know, it's something I'm still reckoning with today. Uh, and I will continue to, because, you know, it's as a practice, uh, as a, somebody who practices music, um, I hope I never stop. 
Yeah, I hope you don't stop either. <laughs> you create some incredible music, you know, and and it's something that's it's it's truly special to have that that gift, but also you know that training is something that I never had. I never I've never taken a guitar lesson in my life. Uh, you know, I've sat down with we used to print tabs off the internet and try to learn songs that way, or you know, listen by ear, and it took so long to figure out even the easiest Green Day songs. You know, it took so much longer than it probably would have taken with lessons. But then it just opened all these doors to different experimentation and and approaches to things, you know. But I really wish I had a background where I had, you know, something. I did trumpet in middle school and that was it. Like, that's the only formal training I had with music. And I've never used any of that in my entire life. That's rad, too. Yeah. It's it's crazy. It's funny that you mentioned Green Day because... I'm a huge early Green Day fan. Uh, Dookie, when it came out, absolutely changed my world. And learning songs off of Dookie and learning just that basic power chord was literally the first thing that showed me that I can just make up my own music. So I was just moving power chords around and putting them in different combinations, and my mind was blown going, oh, my God, I can write music too. (laughs) It's cool that you brought up Green Day. Dude, yes. So, like, Green Day... uh... I was listening to like Metallica and Pantera and all this stuff. And then like my buddy Joe, who was in Anatomy of a Ghost with me, like he brought over, we were in detention together and, and, uh, that's where I met him. And he's like, Hey, you know, I got football practice or something like that at whatever time, like, you know, I can come over afterwards and bring some music over and, and, uh, do you like music? I'm like, yeah. Brought over the first Weezer record. And then he brought over Kerplunk and Dookie. And we played those records and it was just like, well, CDs at the time, um, blew my mind. I was like, what is, this is fucking awesome. And then we would try to play them. And then we would also, once we started like forming a band, trying to form a band, we would learn like, uh, uh, what's a, one of the songs, um, she, we learned she by, by, by green day. And we would play it for each other while the other two guys sat on the couch and see who played it better. Like we'd have competitions <laughs> standing there awesome. like an idiot playing these songs all the way through. And then, yeah, anyways, they couldn't sing and I could sing. So then I became the singer and guitar player in this first band and like, but it was green day songs and like the power chord, like you're talking about the power chord. That's how I learned to play guitar. Like it was power chords. Yeah. I shied away from, uh, any kind of actual like full chords, like until my uncle showed me a couple from a Beatles songbook once. And uh, and I was like, wow, this sounds a little better on some of these other songs, you know, like actually doing the real chord, but power chords. I mean, that changed so many people's world, you know, like that was, I mean, the Ramones and, and all that was just straight power chords, just fucking in your face. It's special. That's what makes the guitar special too, because there's no other like polyphonic instrument where playing one five eight is so simple. You know, playing an octave with a fifth in the in the middle is it's a big chord, meaning it spans a lot of tones. And the guitar being tuned that way and you being able to just make that's why it's called a power chord. It's just such a powerful tone, you know what I mean? So yeah. It's really, really cool. It's always been special to me, that's for sure. It's the gateway drug to to 
starting a punk band pretty much. Yeah. Once you feel that, yeah. for lack of a better word, yeah, power. Once you feel that power of, you know, plugging that, you know, uh, whatever, that shitty K3 uh, guitar into a into an old Marshall cab and stack, like, and and strumming those chords and, and overdriving those speakers, like, it's just this thing that takes takes you over you know it's crazy and it's still magical to me yeah 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 man dude you're a fascinating man i i tell you this because uh yeah you've had an interesting interesting come up here you know i I talked to a lot of people and i talked to you know and of course there's a lot of things with people that are interesting but you're really a fascinating guy like uh Wow. And you're a lot more That's serious. So flattering. You're a lot more serious than I thought. Cause when I chimed into those, that thing with Matt, you were literally like laughing your ass off uh, about some really hilarious shit. Um, oh, no. I'm a. I'm a goofball. You're just asking me like legit serious questions that <laughs> that are requiring like really thoughtful answers, which I appreciate. But yeah, obviously <laughs> my responses are pretty serious. But when you ask me about, music and musical background it's like yeah <laughs> well it's cool because you, i mean i love that you have all these layers you know it's it's awesome when 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 people aren't just you know face value you know like when you can kind of dig through and and find out why people are the way they are and that's a big part of what this show's about that's why i don't uh use notes i don't use uh you know i don't have any cards in front of me i'm literally just sitting here with my recorder and my microphone um, because I like to, to go in a natural way of kind of jumping through different things. But, um, I do want to touch. So you said green day. So green day changed things. So Dookie, did you hear Dookie before you heard the earlier albums where he was still doing solos and stuff? Um, for me, Longview was the first thing I saw. That's the first green. Day. I was okay. already getting. Yeah. Because I was 13 at the time. Mm-hmm. So, I saw that in spring, that spring of my eighth grade year or, or maybe the fall. And I was just starting to get into a deeper alternative bands like, you know, Soundgarden and, Oh yeah. Um, because right, right before green day came my Nirvana passion. Mm-hmm. Nirvana was the first thing that blew the passion up for me. Uh, like, wow, I love this so much. But Green Day was like the thing that was like, this is really cool. And as I said before, opened me up to songwriting. Um, But shortly after, I was so... What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And Splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the Splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous Splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, You can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video 
for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey there. I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. I was basically so hungry to like consume all of that Bay area punk thing. 
that I really quickly got 1039 Kerplunk. Yeah. And I then delved into Bob Ivy, uh, which then got me into 15 and Crimshrine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like these other deeper. And I went deep. I went deep. I was really in love with punk rock, specifically Bay Area punk rock, because at that time there were so many great bands around. Not that there aren't now. It was just then when I was still living up there and I was tuned in and I was getting to go see a lot of shows at our local venue, which was this big thousand cap theater, but would still have small punk shows mm-hmm. that my high school band would play out and stuff. So it was all just part of the, the passion for me. Dude, so on that vein, once we discovered the the early Green Day stuff, then it, it was still mail order at that time. Like the internet was still really yeah. infantile. We got the Lookout Records like mail order catalog, and of course we couldn't afford to order much, so we would each order something right. different, and we would trade and share. Yeah. And that's when like Op Ivy and uh, yeah Crimp Shrine and uh, the Young Pioneers and like. Um, do have so he totally. you, you need to go back and listen to my episode I did with Larry Livermore from Lookout Records. That was one of my first. Oh, you had Larry on. Yeah, That's dude, awesome. it was awesome, and he was so. It was my dad's favorite episode, and I think Larry's like close to like his late sixties now. I think something like that. Um, yeah, but he was fascinating, and we went through so many different things. But that scene was. Cra- have you seen the Turn It Around documentary? No, I mean to. Holy shit, bro. Okay, it's three hours long, like almost three hours long, and it's insane. It goes through every major band of that Berkeley uh, East Bay scene from Neurosis to Green Day to they even talk about the Yeasty Girls and like all these weird, obscure bands. Uh, it's It's incredible. It's such a good documentary, and Green Day funded it, the whole thing. Um, but yeah, that whole scene just lit a fire and it was, it was huge. Like it, we were digging through so much of that stuff. Uh, I think I'm trying to think the song, I think it's, why do you want him on like 39 smooth? I think Billy Joe wrote that when he was 12. Like it was yeah, this whole, I like, remember hearing that story too. Yeah. But it was, it was crazy to go like listen to Dookie and then go back and listen to the solos he was playing on those early records. Whereas, like, holy shit, yeah, believe, he's a shredder. I believe he started playing guitar at like seven or six or seven, something ridiculously early, too. Yeah, that's wild. Dude, Jesse Michaels has turned me down three times to come on this podcast. Uh, oh, that's too bad. I had Matt he would Freeman be a on. Treasure trove of stories. Yeah, I had nice. Matt Freeman on, and uh, um, yeah, Lars from Ransom, but the same camp. But, uh, anyways, not not important to this, but. Um, I'm, I'm, I love that that was a scene that you were drawn to because, uh, a lot of people went like SoCal punk scene too, like with the fat records and, uh, yeah, uh, which was also great, but that, which is ironically Bay area. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Totally Bay area. But but yeah, they obviously championed a lot of SoCal bands. Yeah, I get it exactly, and I guess I get that confused because Fat Mike lives in LA now. But like the, I keep forgetting. Yeah, San Francisco, uh, that Fat Records is still in San Francisco. But um, yeah, dude, this is crazy. Okay, so how do you get involved with the RX Bandits? Because they, you came in like what after two thousand, right? With them, or I came in. 
At 2000. At 2000. And they started, what, 96 or something like that? Technically, you started in 96, but that was still like the high school band, ska, super ska band days. Okay. Um, So how we met was in 1998, Mike Park, who owns Asian Man Records, came to see my high school band. And he uh, recruited me to play in his new project after the Bruce Lee band, which he called the Chinkies. And I toured with him for two years. He went to Japan a couple of times. He did Europe. Uh, we were touring with like Asian man bands. And I ended up making friends with a band from Santa Cruz called Slow Gherkin. Okay. They were another Asian man records band. Uh-huh. And I lived, I moved to Santa Cruz and I lived in a house with a couple other people. And I was still doing tours with Mike here and there. I did tours with a couple members of the specials as the keyboard player when I was a young kid. Um, and I, we had this house and because we were connected to so many bands, like bands would come through and they would stay at our house. Uh, we had everybody from the blood brothers for like a whole week when their van broke down in Santa Cruz to older bands like MU 30 and, uh, um, you know, braid came and stayed at our house. Wow. And, uh, the first time alkaline trio ever played California, uh, they came and stayed at my house. We went to the beach. I, I first met those guys like so, so long ago. But, uh, the point of that story is one night, uh, our friend Phil said, Oh, there's this band. They're on tour with another band called the hippos and they need a place to stay. Can they stay at your house? Turns out it was the guys in RX. So, uh, they came and stayed. We really clicked because at the time I had, a some J tree records posters in my room. So I had a Joan of Arc poster uh-huh. and a promise ring poster. And, um, we started just kind of clicking and they showed me no knife for the first time. Oh my God. And we were just exchanging. Yeah. All these musical ideas and, we just became really good friends. So from then on, they, whenever they would come to town, um, they would, you know, stay at my house and we would hang and we became good friends. And from there, through some other connections, they knew I played music and they kind of got hip to what I was doing. And we just started doing some demoing together. And then I was, we talked and I joined the band. Wow, dude. So... (sighs) That's so crazy. Just from staying in a staying in a house on tour, we have, I've stayed in so many people's houses on tour and, yeah. and never joined a band from it. But like the the goddamn, it's such a weird experience too. Like just oh yeah, we're gonna go, or looking for a place to stay on tour. You just put a sign up like, hey, we need a place to crash, and the first person to say yes, you don't even question it. You just go and do it. It's so yeah. so yeah. weird. I don't know if that still happens. But so, well, of course, not right now with this shit going on, but like it was such a sketchy thing. Like I remember waking up on kitchen floors and someone's mom would be like, um, you, excuse me, who are you? Like, and the kid, it wasn't his house. Like we, like it wasn't, he's like, oh yeah, it's my place, blah, blah, blah. Dude. Anyways, no knife also in there. No knife. I talk about it. No knife so much on this show because they're fucking incredible. And I had Mitch on from No Knife. Um, It was fascinating. But me and the Thrice guys always throwing back No Knife stuff because of how incredibly influential they were and underrated. And anyways, when you said that, I was just like, oh, Jesus. 
whenever I'm hit, me and Eddie always talk about how much we love no nice just because, yeah. So I, I get it. Dude, yeah. That's who I, I think I talked about Eddie on that episode because he was the one who was like, oh, ask him this, ask him that, like <laughs> throwing things back and forth uh, before I had him on. But uh, dude, yeah. Okay. So you're with the bandits. Like that's such an organic way to come across each other and then, you know, turn into a career. That's so insane. Yeah, it was cool. Like there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff happening at that house at that time. So when they met me, they had knew they knew I was already playing with like Mike Park and doing this stuff with the specials guys. And um, I had released this other EP with an old friend named Brian Moss, who does great apes and Hanalei. Uh, he used to be in a band called the Wonder Years, and we had this band together that we released an EP. And the RX guys really liked that. So it was serendipitous, but at the same time, I. I was lucky just to have a house that we lived in that bands could stay at. Um, there's just, and there was a lot happening. And I look back on that time really fondly. There's even like one of Alkaline Trio's first music videos. Um, I don't remember the exact title of the song. Maybe it's goodbye forever or something. It was on an old hopeless records video comp. Um, but that music video was like filmed in my backyard. Their first drummer is like swinging around my push lawnmower in, in that video. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and you know, we even had like, uh, Bob Nana from braid play like an acoustic show in our house one time, like when they had days off on tour and stuff like that. So, uh, we had a, we had a lot going on at the house. Dude, that's amazing. And so like, in my fondest memories of Santa Cruz, we're playing the catalyst. I, if that, I don't even know that's still there, mm -hmm. but, um, it is. We played some shows with Dredge. Like that was the first shows I played with Portugal. The man was was hey, we got some shows in Santa Cruz. Do you want to jam with us? I was like, oh, of course. And I'd never been to that club before, but Santa Cruz, such a cool town. Like we spent two days really? there, and usually we just pass through. We actually spent two day full days there and had a fucking blast. It was like it's just a this laid back, like awesome town, like Northern California. Like it was wonderful. You could just feel the really the artistic awesome. vibe to. uh I mean, there's something in the water or something in that, I mean, Northern California, there's just so much amazing talent that comes out of there and, and creativity and movements. And it's just, it's just a strange thing, but that's, that's so alkaline trio, man, so you've, you've, you've got some, you've got some bros in the scene, like, and you've done some pretty fucking badass stuff. Like, and so you, you, you were in the live version of sounds animals fighting, right? Yeah. Uh huh. So you know Anthony, and of course you do. But um, okay. So we 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 know a lot of the same people. Like we tons of the same people. I'm surprised we've never met before. But uh, yeah, I mean, a little ashamed. Did a tour because... with Portugal the Man in 2008. Yeah. I'm so sorry like, to interrupt you. It's no, 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 no. Absolutely not. And and uh, dude, it's just crazy. It's just crazy how many like acquaintances we have that are that are the same. So another one I want to talk about because I did um look through like a discogs for you because I was curious on what else you had been on that I hadn't heard or that I maybe have heard and didn't know you were on, but you played with big sir. Is that correct? Oh yeah. There was a contribution. Yeah. There was like a keyboard part that I contributed to the record, but my involvement was minimal truth be told. Okay. So do you, you know, Juan then? Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, dude. Okay. So have you been following his recovery? 
Oh, of course. Oh my um, God. His recovery is not only amazing, but it's one of the main things that's been giving me positive vibes and hope during this insane time, to be honest. Like, yeah. It's the one of the main things that puts a smile on my face that makes me kind of go, fuck yeah, on the inside. Dude. Which I'm kind of starved for lately. So. Oh, he's, he's an inspiration. I had him on the show. I hadn't met him before. Had him on the show. We had one of the best chats, like high energy. He is so high energy. And he really is. Then like a few weeks later, I texted him about something, like follow up on something. And he didn't text me back. I thought it was weird. And then I saw about the accident. I was like, shit. And I looked back and I'd like texted him that afternoon. Uh, he had already been, he'd already been in the accident. But like uh-huh. watching this recovery, I couldn't imagine going into a coma and waking up and the world's basically on fire. And like there's a virus that has taken over. Like how yeah. fucking weird is coming out of a coma anyway, but coming out in such crazy times, like having to meet friends at the fence with a mask on to visit like i can't even imagine but that that band is incredible and so that's why i was curious on your contribution to that because and also the fact that omar was a part of it who i believe is pretty much self-taught as well being involved in a project you know with that kind of creativity as well that's kind of what formulated uh where i was asking about you know does it hinder or or, um help you having that that classical background being in that kind of spectrum you know um but yeah yeah, so it was a keyboard you did keyboard stuff Uh uh-huh okay so it was just a contribution so you weren't uh you just sent it like they said hey do you want to do something on this record or did they have like an idea and then you just kind of no actually it was also a, a backing vocal part and um i don't know whether the keyboard part got used but I know for sure the backing vocal part happened and it was just a night that we were all hanging out at Sergeant house, um, back when it was still in echo park. Yeah. I had lived in the downstairs room at Sergeant house for almost a year during, uh, the battle tour cycle. Um, so, um, we were all just hanging out there and Lisa Papineau was there also. I think even Juan might've been there that night and she just asked like, Oh, Hey, can you sing this part real quick? And we went into the other room where she had a recording set up and, and I sang that back in vocal part. Man. Okay. So this, this might be the second time I've talked about this on this show, but like the echo part, I'm trying to, I'm trying to gauge where all this stuff's at. Cause I'm not super familiar with, with, uh, Los Angeles area, like what's, what's close uh-huh. to where, but speaking of staying at people's houses, Portugal, we played a show and they're like, Oh, we got a place to stay tonight with this lady, Kathy. Uh, she does this record label and this is before I heard Sergeant house. And I remember going into the house and there was dog shit everywhere. And, uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go sleep in the van, I think. And I went and slept in the van, not knowing that that was Sergeant house. Like uh, it was the weirdest thing. Like it was weird. I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to hang out here. And then turns out one of my favorite you know, to, to this day, like after that point, figuring out like what it was, was like one of my favorite record labels with some of the best bands in the yeah. world. And I would, I went to sleep in the van, you know, instead of taking advantage of this opportunity to expand on anything. Anyway, it was the weirdest thing ever. And, and I think I mentioned yeah. it with Nick from Terramelos, but, uh, just crazy. Crazy weird. <laughs> Sergeant House is definitely dog lovers, and at that time, Sergeant House was so busy working that 
Yeah, I, I remember those times too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you live, that's the place you lived at? In the downstairs? For I lived year? downstairs in like a separate like studio apartment. Oh, gotcha. Suite, like okay. downstairs at like the front gate. But, you know, I was back and forth often. Man, that's hilarious. Okay. So, yeah, that's another missed opportunity. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was totally. And first impression, I was just like, I need to get the fuck out of here. This is gross. Uh, anyways. But, uh, dude, okay, so the other thing we kind of have in common, and this is one thing I caught, like, maybe the tail end of this story. I really want you to tell this story because it seemed like there's a bunch I missed to it. But it involves a piss jug. Uh, so for people that are listening that have not toured, the first time I learned about this, I was watching a DVD with this band Strife, this, like, straight-edge hardcore band, and the dude rick rick rodney or something i think's his name they back in that day they had the mountain dew one liter bottles but they had the wide mouth so you could literally stick the bottle up your pant leg or shorts leg and pee into it without having to take anything out and he was showing how to do this on this dvd or like this random like backstage footage thing and i was like that's genius because then we don't have to pull over all the time to pee so this mutated with bands into you'd buy like a big jug of water to drink and once that was gone you made that your piss jug in the van which is totally disgusting like oh it's so disgusting to think back on it now but sometimes those would get left in the van between tours before you got back in there again like under a back seat or in a in a corner (laughs) and so we used to have a competition if we had like a, like we're having a bad show or like something like wasn't going our way and we were bummed out, we wanted to cheer up. We would have a competition to who could smell the piss jug longer without vomiting in like on the side of the road, like (laughs) just like breathe it in as much as you could and try to hold it in. And the first person to puke, uh, lost, like it was those kind of stupid games. What is that? You guys went so next level. Dude, wow. you literally pop the top and then just like let all your air out and we just like take it in without throwing up. And, you know, some of us made it two or three sniffs before we lost it. But oh, there oh. was one guy that lost it every time and it was just so amazing. But this is piss that had been sitting there for probably, I don't know, three months in a hot, sweaty van, like wherever we parked it for that time in between tours. And, uh, Sometimes it would we'd hit hit a bump or something and they'd tip over. But you had a story about grabbing a piss jug by accident or something. Can you tell me this story because I did not catch the whole thing, but you guys were really laughing hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you don't mind, if you're taking it from the serious no, level no, I, to a I, funny level, but I, I I don't mind at all. I really. I hope nobody gets the impression that I take myself seriously because I really definitely don't. I'm a complete idiot 99% of the time. (laughs) Um, And this story, you know, I, yeah, I'll tell it. There may may not be as entertaining, but like, like Dewey was saying, you know, tea bottles are a reality, especially when you are not like a duo or a three piece and you have multiple people in the band. You just can't stop every time somebody has to pee. And, being dudes, we had the luxury of being able to do this in a logistical way that made sense. Uh, 
so we had a rule that, you know, please just take your pee bottles out when we get to the venue or when we stop. Don't leave them in the van. So we had bought gallon jugs of water. Uh, we were in Arizona. Played a really hot, small venue with, I don't know how Arizona gets away with having venues that still don't have air conditioning, but regardless, we weren't big enough yet to play venues that had air conditioning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We played really hot show and it was a setup where the van was parked out back, but there wasn't much light back there. And uh, it was so hot that I was getting really overwhelmed, kind of like that nauseous feeling. Oh yeah. But I made it through this, made it through the set and I immediately ran back out there, you know, picturing my gallon jug of water that I had. And I opened the side van door and there's a few there. Uh, previously I had only left my water bottle there, but there was two others. So, uh, because it was still kind of dark and the dome light in the van was not very bright. I grabbed the wrong one and I completely (laughs) doused myself in it. And the way that I was dousing myself with that expectation of, quenching and refreshment and just <laughs> washing away the sweat that so I was really, really vigorously shaking it out over myself, even going so far as to like lift my face up. Oh and my God. maybe it's cause I was still, you know, recovering from my minor TBI. I gave myself every night from head banging. Uh-huh. I just didn't react fast enough and it just kept coming out. It got it <laughs> off of me. I kind of, took a second there with the jug down to process. Okay. This isn't water. What is this? Realizing what it was. <laughs> I completely freak out. I strip all my clothes off, you know, I'm standing out there naked. I grab a fresh jug. It was someone else's. I didn't care who it was because I was, I, I was freaking out and stripped it open and just gave myself a gallon distilled water bath right there. <laughs> That's the true meaning of a whore's bath, as they call it in the Chevron bathrooms, where you basically do it in the sink. And sh- it's yeah. such a, like a, uh, oh, it's a terrible, terrible phrase, but it's the way it was put to me is that's what it's called. But I'm just yeah. picturing you, like, I'm picturing that scene in Zoolander where they're fighting with the gasoline, uh, like just hosing <laughs> yeah. a freak gasoline fight accident. Or between totally. that and a, a Garnier Fructis or Herbal Essences commercial. Of just like yeah, waving exactly. your, your head back and forth and just loving it so exactly much. Right, it's, so yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. not even realizing until it's done that it was wrong. <laughs> one of one of my many instances of being a complete idiot because I could have taken five seconds to kind of suss it out and go, mm, <laughs> Give this a is sniff. a different weight or fullness or smell it or something, but... <laughs> I was just hasty, like I've been so much in my life, learning lessons the hard way because I'm so hasty, and I got doused and pissed, so lesson learned. <laughs> doused with someone else's piss, but poured by your own hand. <laughs> yeah, somebody at the time, a member of the band who drank a lot of beer, so it oh. wasn't like somebody that had an allergy that was just you know, relentlessly hydrating with fresh water. Yeah. Is that orange frothy piss? Oh my God. Did it get in your mouth? 
unfortunately, yeah. Yes, it did. And you, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I just wish I could have watched the first one and then saw the realization. And the, like, picture this like someone like sitting waiting to pick up their sister or whatever from the show looks over. There's this dude pouring a jug of something on himself, immediately strips naked, and then starts pouring another bucket on himself or another jug on himself. Just the the fact of how fucking crazy they thought you were. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it was it was in the back of the venue, so nobody else was around. Oh, right after I had doused myself with the fresh water, and I kind of rinsed out my boxers, and I managed to get them back on right after some people came back around, like wanting to get a picture, like talk to us. And I was like, that was <laughs> Can really I get a picture crazy. of you really? covered in piss? <laughs> I was clean by then, <laughs> dude. That's incredible. I so the one thing like that goes. We were touring through. We were driving well, driving through Oregon, where we're from, and uh, you can't go number two in a in a Joe. You could, but you we would stop for that. And I had to go so yeah. bad. I was like, we have to stop now. Like we we have to stop. Pull over this truck stop. It's a tr- big truck stop. No bathrooms. No bathrooms. Oh no. And. I see a dumpster. I'm like, I'm going to go behind that dumpster. Fuck this. I got to go. I'm not going to shit my pants. So I get over there. I literally drop my pants. I lean against the dumpster and just start exploding. Right. Like it's nuts. (laughs) And it's like dumb and dumber style, like Jeff Daniels uh, style. Anyway, I don't know if I was making like the sound or anything, but I look down and I am completely illuminated with light. To where I look up and all the semis are parked facing me. Every one of those trucks just watched me explode with my pants down against a dumpster. And I had nowhere to go. And I had nowhere. I literally had to use a sock and like and just walk away knowing that I just put on a show. Like that's why I was just thinking of someone watching you do that. And just watching the the manner in which you poured over yourself and then the manner in which you rinsed yourself off, the urgency, you know, oh, my God. Tour is the worst (laughs) for that kind of stuff. Oh, my God. I appreciate you sharing that story and kind of lessening the blow of mine. I was trying to bring, <laughs> put myself out there with something. Yes. To <laughs> bring us together because, uh, yeah, that's embarrassing. And uh, Unity. totally gross. And now you're, do you know whose piss it was? I had a guess, but I couldn't be sure. Okay. Because That's the probably rest of for the, the guys were, the rest of the guys were like snickering and there was speculation and then denial. So, you know, there's <laughs> at the end of the day, like nobody was, and obviously I don't hold a grudge about it, but nobody was really being helpful to me at that point because, you know, <laughs> if maybe I choked and was like, physically harmed or something on TV and there would be, but everybody, it was hard for anybody to give me a serious answer when I'm legitimately irritated going, Who, whose piss was it? And, and they're just like, I, not, not mine, dude. Identify yourself. Oh my God. That is, that's yeah. as wonderful as I was hoping it would be because I literally came <laughs> in and out. I was so pissed. I came in and out. Well, no pun intended that I came in and out of that conversation because uh, I wanted to know the whole story so bad. And it's like, you know what? When you hit me back, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to ask about this story because I, I need to know this. It was, it was so good. Uh, and I'm sorry okay. that happened to you, but I'm also very glad that happened to you because it, it made you who you are today. Right. 
it's all good. I have some other like stories that I like kind of wish didn't happen more than that. Really? Like, there's some things that have happened that like pouring kiss on myself is it would be easy compared to. Yeah. Oh no. It's like, <laughs> wow. Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> Where are we going with this? That's insane. You want to hear? Yes, I do. You want to hear one? I mean, yeah. I've never told this story because I'm afraid uh, that, honestly, I've never told this story to anyone but my close friends and people close to me because I worried about just even objectively telling the facts of what happened that it still sounds fabricated. But I, I okay. promise. Okay. I only wish it was fabricated. <laughs> Hit me. So, uh, it was 2013. RX had been on hiatus for a couple years. And uh, to come back, one of the first things we did was get booked to play like the last surf and skate festival in Jersey. So that year it was like Fallout Boy, us, Glassjaw, some other bands. And so we were just flying out there to play the show and come back just like a one-off, you know, fly date. Yeah. Uh, so we're flying out of LAX and it's a domestic flight because we're flying in Newark. We're playing in New Jersey and we're at a gate. I don't remember the number. I believe it was 16 or 17, but there's a 16A and a 16B. We had been, we had gotten to the airport a little bit early because LAX is kind of crazy. Yeah. And we were at like the bar having some food, like whatever. And I had had an edible. That was a pretty strong one. Uh, 45 minutes into being at, at the bar or the restaurant, it starts to kick in. I have a very, you know, I'm solidly compromised in the way I intended. Uh, so they're calling boarding for our flight. And obviously my boarding pass has the gate proper gate printed on it. Uh, our sound guy at the time, Roger and I, we kind of boarded before everybody else or went to go board before everybody else because everybody else in our band had a habit of like waiting till the last minute because they just didn't care, which is fine. Like everybody's got their own style. And we go to 16B. They scan our boarding passes. We walk onto the plane. And as you know, when you're going to the boarding gate, you're waiting 10, 15 minutes. Uh-huh. You know, while everybody boards the plane and puts their baggage away. So after 15 minutes, um, we finally make it into the plane. And it's still kind of hectic. It's a small domestic flight plane. And as soon as we're getting to the halfway point of the plane, because our seats are at the back, we hear the announcement over the intercom. This is a flight going to blah, 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 Spokane, Washington. Oh, shit. And I'm like, oh, no how could this be? And then instantly my compromised brain says, it's the other gate, man. So I look at Roger and go, we're on the wrong plane. And he looks at me and says, yeah, you're right. So it's a single aisle. I mean, there's no room for me to walk around people behind me. So we start kind of going, excuse me, I'm sorry. We really got to go. We start kind of pushing through people. Um, and as I got to where first class is, we're about to make it out of the plane. I feel an arm grab me, stop me. And he says, hang on there just a second. And I turn around and I look, it's this older white gentleman, maybe about 50. And he's like, 
why are you rushing off the plane so fast? Like, what do you mean? I'm on the wrong plane. I got to catch a flight. It's like, you were looking sketchy from the beginning. You put a bag on here and then you just grabbed it and run off. How do I know you didn't plant a bomb? What? And at that point, yeah, at that point, I am so floored because I'm already so compromised. Yeah. That my jaw literally drops and I go, oh, oh, oh. And normally I consider myself to be an articulate person who can at least defend himself and debate or, you know, whatever, make my case for something. But I was just so completely shocked and stunned. The element of surprise completely just tore down any ability I had to think as well as what I had ingested earlier. So um, I'm standing there in the middle of first class. Everybody goes silent. And the whole plane goes silent looking because he's saying this to me at a really loud tone. A couple people I hear very quietly go, oh, come on, man. Are you? But everybody else is still silent. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, that's all I could muster. And I'm still frustrated with myself looking back on it going, why is that all you could say, you stoned idiot? Yes. But um, after a couple moments, he goes, hey, we need to do something about this. One of the flight attendants comes over and goes, sir, what would you like us to do? I want you to call the airport police. Oh, my God. And I'm thinking, like, how could this be? (laughs) How could this be? I just don't even understand it. Like, what is going on? So she goes, okay, I will. And I'm like, fuck. Okay, I don't really care other than, you know, this is gnarly. I mean, they're going to see that there's nothing in my bag. But then I remembered I had the rest of my edible in my backpack still. So I started worrying about that. Going, oh, my God, they're going to oh, find shit. this piece of chocolate or whatever. So she runs up. The flight is being delayed. And I'm hearing the final boarding call for our actual flight to Newark. Oh, no. Just as he grabs my arm, Roger, our sound guy, had managed to get in front of me and made it down. So he's out of the plane already. I'm alone. He doesn't even know I'm held up and why I'm held up. So I'm standing there and it takes about a minute or two because I'm thinking like I should just leave. But I'm like, what if I try to leave and then everybody tackles me? So I'm kind of like stunned trying to get my wits about me standing there. Then people start looking at each other in first class going, yeah, this is kind of messed up, right? Like, look at this guy. Because I managed to kind of muster this reason, which he really didn't believe looking at this Asian guy. You know, I'm like, I play in a band. We're going to be one of the main acts at a festival. I'm flying to New Jersey to play a show. I'm a musician. <laughs> I remember the guy just looking at me like, what? You? <laughs> a rock guitarist? Yeah right. yeah, right. So a minute or two passes by and people start talking and the flight attendants start talking. And one of the flight attendants comes over to me and goes, that guy's an asshole. Don't worry. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm telling the truth. Like, can I just go? And the guy goes, the flight attendant goes, yeah, you know what? Just go, just go. And I go, are you sure? Because that guy had already gone back to his seat, chuffed with himself going, yeah, I handled the situation. Airport police are coming. Right. So I look at the, I look at the flight attendant and I look at these two people right in front of me because when you're on a plane, you know, I'm literally standing 10 inches away from them, Yeah. <laughs> you know, like right over them. And I look at them and they kind of look at me with like an approving look like, yeah, you know, you seem okay. And I look back at the flight attendant and I say, should I really go? And he says, yeah, just go, just go. And I just grab my bag and I run off. 
and I ran to the, I ran up that gate and you know, it's about another 20 feet around that desk to the 16 a. Yeah. And I, and she's about to close the gate and she looks at me, she goes, passenger Choi. And I'm like, yeah, she's like, we almost left without you. And I'm like, I'm glad you didn't. And I run in, I run down the gate. Everybody's already sitting in their seats. You know, a couple of us were together, but we would still get split up. And they're looking at me like, Choi, what are you doing? Like, you're the guy that's always first on the plane. You're never late. But my seat was like four rows in front of them. So they could only just look at me and go like, were you in the bathroom or something? I couldn't even explain anything because we had to do the passing and the flight was already held up for me. Yeah. So I just had to sit in my seat and I just looked back at them and I just shake my head like, you're never going to believe what just happened. Oh my and God. I still made it. Uh, we, there was another thing that caused the show to almost not happen, but that was much more minor. And uh, yeah, that's, that's But you made it and played the show. And have we it. made it and played the show. Yeah, that's incredible. I don't know what's more offensive to that to being like profiled for for what yeah. like for what you look like for your ethnicity for, yeah. but then not being able to defend yourself because you're you're stoned out of your mind. But yeah. I, I didn't know if that guy was like an air marshal or something. But he was just a passenger that thought it looked weird, right? He was just the passenger. Oh, I saw him go back to his crazy. family, his wife, and he had a couple older kids. And, you know, for people that don't know, I'm Asian, I'm Korean American, and I look really Korean, <laughs> you know, with jet black hair, yeah. small eyes, the whole nine. And oh, a lot my. of like North Korea stuff. <laughs> the the North Korea stuff was really popping off in the news at that time, you know, as it kind of has. And so I, I it made sense. There's a lot of yokels in Washington too. There's a lot of really educated, great people too. But yeah, anybody who knows Washington, rural Washington and rural Oregon knows that there's a big clash of liberalism, but also a lot of yokels. Yes, there is. Oh my God, dude! I would have blown him a kiss or something outside as I ran off. (laughs) (laughs) Wow! I was just thinking, like, if I can get to the other plane, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Because if that flight leaves without me. I'm screwed. God. Then they would have dragged you into whatever and called you a terrorist and whatever. Like, what the fuck? It's just chocolate. <laughs> I have a chocolate yeah. and guitar. Like, That's look, it, man. Look at my bag. It's just a little duffel bag. There's no bond in there. <laughs> that is incredible, dude. That is. Wow. How random is that? <laughs> That's insane. Oh, my God. Dude, so it's an exclusive. I've never told that story in a public forum before. That's awesome. I, I am. I am honored. I am honored to host <laughs> that story because that is that is fucking weird. <laughs> that's yeah, wow. crazy. So, man. Okay. Well, dude, that's that's a good spot to to wrap it up. I think I've had you on the phone over an hour. But, uh, dude, nice. thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of what you do. And like I said, you're a fascinating dude. Like before any of these stories, even just your story of, of coming up and how you've dealt with the struggle of having that, such a great education and, and an all, a natural talent for music, but then also abandoning that at points to, and struggling with that, that yin and yang and, and finding that balance and making some fucking awesome music in the, in the process. It's just fascinating, dude. I I really appreciate the time and uh, appreciate uh, your stories. 
I, I really appreciate you having me. I'm, I'm flattered, honored, and humbled all at once. So thank Dude. you. Awesome. We'll have you on for a part two, and we'll tell more stories because uh, these are this is hilarious. Um, but I would yeah. love it. I got a I got a handful. Awesome, man. Well, I'll let you get back to your afternoon and, and dude, thank you so much. And, and I'll be in touch uh, when this is coming out and everything else. And, and, uh, hit me up anytime, dude. Thanks, bro. It's been really fun. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care, bro. All right. Bye bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Steve Choi from the RX Bandits and from the Sounds of Animals Fighting. Fascinating guy with a great story and some awesome tour stories. All right, so I appreciate you guys coming back week after week, guys. Be sure to rate and subscribe to the show. I don't want you to miss anything. Every once in a while, I release extra episodes or two at a time or three at a time or ten over two weeks uh, like we did back in, uh, fuck, what was it, February? We did Monday through Friday, like your everyday work week episode release. So uh, if you're subscribed, you'll get all those and you won't miss anything, and then you can decide which ones you want to listen to, if not all of them. And, uh, yeah, tell a friend about the show. Let's keep this thing growing. Week after week, it keeps growing. It's I'm just stunned to see the growth of this show and how far it has reached. I mean, we have listeners in almost every country that has the internet, which is awesome. There's people that listen in Tasmania. How you doing? All right. There's people that listen in uh, everywhere. I mean, if there's the internet connection or a cell connection, they're listening. And that is so badass. Anyways, cheers to you guys for coming back week after week. Thanks to Steve Choi for coming on. Big things coming up very soon. I promise we'll be able to talk about it soon. And uh, yeah, guys, as always, we'll see you on the radio. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.